serves as shepherding deacon in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Grant unto us, O God, the fullness of your promises. Where we have been weak, grant us your strength. Where we have been confused, grant us your guidance. Where we have been distraught, grant us your comfort. Where we have been dead, grant us your life. Apart from you, O Lord, we are nothing. In and with you, we can do all things. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Let us worship God. Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. So let us acknowledge our failure and disobedience and return to the Lord with penitence and faith. Let us pray. Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins, and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts. Cleanse us from all our offenses, and deliver us from the proud thoughts and vain desires, that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing our faults, confiding in your grace, and finding in you our refuge and strength. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, in his name we pray. Amen. God is slow to anger 
and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent in trust in his Son as Savior and Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Let us now boldly state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you in the love of Christ to turn and greet your neighbors. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. And no, this is not a pre-Super Bowl party. We just want you to know that. (laughs) Though we are looking for that good Denver Bronco victory this evening. So (laughs) not that those things are important. So we are glad you're with us today and delighted that we can be together, uh, which for the world really needs to be the party. Uh, the rejoicing at the table of our Lord and to know that we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That is what this is all about and we're glad that you're with us today to celebrate that. We would uh, love for you to fill out the friendship pads which are in the pew and pass those along to your neighbor. A couple of things we wanna call to your attention. Uh, This Wednesday begins uh, the Lenten season with our Ash Wednesday service. Many of you have participated in this. It's one of the 
highlights of our Lenten experience, and we would love for you to be with us uh, on Wednesday evening here in the sanctuary at 6.30 uh, for you to learn uh, about uh, our Lenten journey and to participate in the beginning of that 6.30 this Wednesday evening. If you would like to give yourself a Valentine's treat or like to give somebody else a Valentine's treat on this Valentine's Sunday, next Sunday, the 14th, we would love to have you join us uh, for the Sarasota Young Voices Choir uh, that will be performing here, I believe, at 3 o'clock. Is that correct? Uh, you won't want to miss that. It's really going to be a delightful time, and we'd love to have you come and join uh, in that experience. Presbyterian women are having a gathering this coming Friday, and so take note of that information in your bulletin. It is great to have Alan Walworth with us today. Alan is no stranger to our congregation. Many of you heard him preach over the course of the summer, and some of you have uh, met Alan over the course of the last several weeks as we've been talking about our Open Palms campaign. And Alan, it's great to have you with us, and thank you for sharing in this. Um, I am going to be trying to communicate uh, another half of that message to four services over the course of this Sunday, so I needed to tag team with my friend here and have him uh, preach the sermon while I often run around the campus, and you will have a chance to hear me later by video. So, um, And finally, uh, we are delighted to be able to say that this past week, one of our dear members, Claire Mater, turned 103. Yay, yeah. I know Claire is watching TV right now from Bay Village, and Claire, we just wish you all the best, and we're so glad and happy for you, and we know that your church family is such an important part of your life, and we want to rejoice with you on this great milestone of turning 103. Hallelujah. Let's continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes, gifts, and offerings.
Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this opportunity we have to return to you that which you have first given to us. And we rejoice, O Lord, to know that you will mingle these gifts with your Holy Spirit such that they will begin to bear fruit in a world that yearns to know of a God who loves them enough to send his only Son. And we pray this in his name, amen. You may be seated, and we'd like to invite the children to come forward for uh, what we're going to be calling the church family moment. As the children come forward, they are going to be sitting up here in front as together we will be uh, reflecting on a very important church family moment. So it's good to have you all here. Excellent. As I mentioned uh, earlier, we have a message that we're going to be sending to giving to the whole congregation over the course of this morning, and uh, only God can be in two places at the same time, and sometimes I try to play God, but I can't do that today. So, but we're delighted that uh, we have this moment. Many of you are aware that we are, um, we have been going through the process of a uh, master plan uh, planning, and we have uh, brought that to the county, and the county has made its approvals of that, and now we're at that point where we want to share with you the first step in this effort toward expanding our campus, which will, of course, allow us to expand our ministry. We are delighted that we are at this point in time, a time that Church of the Palms has been waiting for for a long time, and we're glad that we can be in this moment to share with you what that first step looks like. And as I said, because I can't be in two places at the same time, we're going to do that by video, and would love for you to listen in as we uh, begin our effort toward making this next step in our capital campaign. So let's go to the video. Fifty-nine years ago, back in 1957, a group of Presbyterians had it in their hearts to start a new church in Sarasota. They imagined that this community would continue to grow, and so they dreamed about starting a congregation that would respond to the needs of a growing area. And they began meeting in, of all places, a funeral home. I always thought that was an appropriate place for a church to get its start, since our faith was born in a cemetery where Jesus walked out of a tomb. Why not start a church in a funeral home? Well, they met there for a year or so and soon found some property way, way, way out on the edge of town, accessible only by a dirt road on the corner of Bee Ridge and Lockwood Ridge Roads, and they planted a church expecting God to do great things. And friends, God has done great things. In our short 59-year history, Church of the Palms has been a life-giving and life-changing witness to our community. We've become one of the largest Presbyterian churches in the state of Florida, and our influence is now global. And the name they gave to this church and ministry was Church of the Palms. It doesn't take much to imagine why they called their church Church of the Palms. It's certainly an indigenous name, but it's also such a biblical name. Even today, we imagine through that great stained glass window in the center of our sanctuary chancel, that great throng of people praising God and waving their palms as the Messiah Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Every Sunday morning, we reenact that scene as we worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and we wave our palms quite figuratively in so many ways. In fact, the word palm serves as the acronym of our ministry and mission, which is to equip disciples for the service of Christ. And the letters P-A-L-M-S spell out for us the five key elements of discipleship, praising God, aligning our lives with Christ, loving one another in community, ministering generously with our gifts of time, talent, and treasure, and sharing our story. Palms is at the heart of everything we do. So as we now look into the future and wonder what is the next great thing God might be doing through us, our 
look back into the past has revealed to us that our mission has always been to open ourselves first to God and to one another, to the community and the world. This is the great tradition and this is the great vision of our church, to open our lives to God and to one another and to the community and the world. So to think of palms in another way, we imagine the palms of our collective hands open for the Holy Spirit and open for the world and its needs. A better name then to give to our new initiative for the future of our church than Open Palms. We've been blessed by nearly three generations of people in our church family who have made it possible for us to use and enjoy an amazing 19-acre campus in what is now the center of Greater Sarasota. And this has positioned us to be a significant ministry to the needs of our city. We house on our campus one of the oldest and greatest child care centers in Sarasota, a Christian counseling center, a tutoring ministry, a five-day, 30-hour-a-week food pantry, three worship centers, and much, much more. This is the first church where I felt that I could use my gifts and my talents. Became involved with the tutoring program to see all those children here. It's totally magical on a Tuesday or Thursday when you see church members next to children, mostly from the local school, uh, being involved on a one-to-one -one basis. There's something very electrifying about that. I think that some of the experiences that I've had serving at Church of the Palms has affected my heart and my faith in ways that I couldn't have anticipated. And that uh, for me and for Steve and for our kids that we have found such an, a deeper relationship with Jesus through serving other people. And now it's time to find another way to open ourselves to the community by realizing a long-held dream of our congregation to, to build a multi-purpose youth center for our children, youth, and whole church family. We're calling it the Palm Center, and we imagine it to be a seven-day-a-week center where people of all ages will come and enjoy activities that will allow great fellowship and spiritual growth. It will be a place where children, youth, and families can enjoy recreation and fellowship like basketball and volleyball. It will be a place where people of all ages can enjoy indoor exercise like walking and fitness classes. It will be a place where the whole church family can gather for a meal. It will be a place where concerts can be held, a place where adults can gather in small groups to be in community and grow in their faith. The list is endless. Our church family has dreamt of this type of facility on our campus, and now the time has come. We know we're building for the future. We know that what's here now, the, these facilities we're in, the sanctuary, the other buildings here, somebody else built those, paid to build, build those. It, it's an understanding that we are doing our share to build for future generations. And I think that we have um, a real need to have facilities where the teenagers and the young people um, have a space. I don't think that the, the teenagers in this church are just great kids. I think they're outstanding. We definitely need to provide for them. My sister's very involved in her church in Memphis, and when I go to visit my uh, niece and nephew, Skylar and Adam there, and I walk onto the campus and there's ball teams and there's exercise classes and there's all kinds of things and all generations are interacting. My niece and nephew have been saying, you really need you need like a family center here at Church of the Palms where you have things for all ages going on all the time, Aunt Sherry. And so for me, this is a dream come true. I'm excited about this Palm Center. We've got to get this thing done. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid growing up, our church had a Palm Center and it was the place where well, kids went and families went. Our Boy Scouts was, was there and then we had mentors there at, the, at, the, at our center. 
And to have that here is just gonna be wonderful. It'd be like old time again. On top of this, our Open Palms initiative is providing for the ongoing needs of our present facilities. A portion of what we receive will be directed toward deferred maintenance items on our campus, including adding air conditioning equipment and replacing roofs and improving drainage and upgrading our security. And in the spirit of Open Palms, we're directing a portion of our generosity towards supporting mission partners locally and abroad with their own capital needs. I got to go on four trips with the youth group. Um, I went to Deland, Florida with the middle school. I got to go to Montreat, uh, Nicaragua, and Urban Serve in Atlanta, Georgia. And those just like, I don't know, really, really shaped me because I was able to experience the different culture, cultures in Nicaragua and being able to serve and everything and meeting like Christians from another country is just like really, really cool. And being with the middle schoolers was just like really eye-opening and seeing how I was like them like only a few years ago. And so spending time with them is just really awesome. And then at Montreat, I got to meet like Christians from all over the country and just bonding with them and stuff. And I found a family here at Church of the Palms and in the youth group. And I don't know, I love them so much. <laughs> Open Palms is a bold step ahead for our great church. This will demand an extra measure of prayer, sacrifice, and generosity. It's my prayer that you will join me in wondering what bold thing we can do together for generations to come. As scripture tells us, to whom much is given, much is required, and we've been given a lot over these 59 years by our good Lord and by those faithful people who have gone before us. When we think of that great oak that stands in the middle of our campus, it reminds us that we all stand beneath trees planted by someone else. Well, now's our turn to plant a new thing for a new generation. Can't wait to see what God might do with you and me as we boldly give our lives that others might live in Christ. time for us in the life of our church. What I need for you to do right now is to go into your bulletin and pull out this little tiny sheet, and here's why. If you would put your name and address and phone on this sheet, we are not going to have a bottleneck, but you are going to exchange that for one of these. There is lots and lots of information in this about the campaign, um, about this building, about the dreams that we have. If you went to an affinity group, which many of you did, you do not need to do this because it is the same information as what you may have previously received. If you do not give us one per household, we will be mailing it to you. So we really hope that you will take the time to fill it out, do a quick swap. There will be someone at every single door to swap it out. So if you want to know more, today, Alan and Steve are going to be in the chapel from 10.15 to 11. There's some great information that can be gathered there. There will be one other informational meeting that has more detail than we can do in worship at 5 o'clock on Monday that's over in the Campus Center. And finally, we will be receiving commitments for this campaign on March 6th. But during the month of February, we'll be watching shorter videos to get a little bit of the the spirit of what this is all about. With that, will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for loving us so much that we can't help but step out there to love those who we have not yet met. So Lord, be with each one of us, fill our hearts with generosity, kindness, and love. 
this day and every day. Amen. What a delight to see you. I know you may not feel the same because you were thinking, I didn't know Steve wasn't preaching. <laughs> you feel like you've been ambushed. <laughs> but I am really glad to see you. And for some of us that we were together here this summer, great to see you again. For those of you who are off escaping the 90 degree heat and the monsoon, then uh, glad to have you back. But I get to spend my time hanging around churches like you that are falling crazy in love with people they may never meet and giving the gift of a lifetime that will outlast their lifetime. I love being around church people like you. You're in a great church at a defining moment. There have been others before, but this is this one, and maybe for this generation, it's our great moment. What a great time to be at Church of the Palms, right? And if you're just here for the very first day, what a great day for you to come, because what we're doing is laying bare our hearts this month to say there's no price we wouldn't pay to share the gospel that came so freely to us to make sure it gets through us to the next generation. You're a part of a great, great moment. Well, of course, it's uh, Super Bowl Sunday. I'm very much aware of that, and you probably have heard about that too. Uh, now, I, I spend some of my time in Dallas, and we love our Cowboys, even though not any of them in particular right now. But <laughs> we, we more love the history of them than anything else. And uh, it's kind of hard to argue with perfection, although we never had perfection in Dallas. There's only been one team in all the NFL that went all the way through the season and all the way through to the Super Bowl unbeaten. Of course, it was a Florida team. No, it wasn't Tampa Bay, but it was Miami in 1972. Many of you probably already know that. This year again, there's not going to be an unbeaten team, whoever wins that game today. But one year, it finally happened. Well, now, one of the big secrets to the 1972 Dolphins was this wonderful defense of theirs. And so when they were getting ready for Super Bowl VI, 44 years ago this day, when they were getting ready for Super Bowl VI, it was our Dallas Cowboys against the Miami Dolphins. And so they interviewed Coach Landry, St. Landry as we call him in Dallas. Uh, they interviewed him and they said, Coach, what is it about this Miami team that gets you nervous? Is it that high-flying offense and six of their offensive players are in the NFL Hall of Fame? And Coach Landry said, no, it's not the offense. I'll tell you what really gives me pause, what gives me the greatest concern about that Miami team it's that defense. I don't remember any of their names, but man, that defense is tough. Okay, well, that word got back to the Miami locker room, and the defensive unit was saying, he doesn't even know our names. They said, that's all right. We'll just be the no-name defense. Who knew that Coach Landry gave them that name? Well, sure enough, although Dallas did win Super Bowl VI, but that was the last game Miami lost for a long, long time because the next season, the 1972 season, they ran through Dallas and everybody else unbeaten. Only time it's ever happened so far. And much of it is because a bunch of no-names were willing to play as a team, as a unit, without thinking about their own individual memories or stats or highlight reels or ESPN highlight moments. They just functioned as a team, and they could stop anybody. Now, it didn't always happen that way. In 2002, we sent our dream team to the Olympics. You know, when Michael Jordan and the other professional athletes got to start where they could play for the, in, for the uh, Olympics, 
We just won the gold medal every time. I mean, no one ever, basically, we never lost a game. USA was just printed on the gold medal before the Olympics began. We were going to win. And so in 2002, we assumed we'd win again. We sent some really good NBA stars. You may have heard of some of them, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and uh, Alvin, Allen Iverson, uh, Tim Duncan, people like pretty good players. Uh, but we got over there, and they lost the first game to Lithuania. Then they lost a game to Ethiopia. And then a second-string, seventh-grade class out of Estonia, you know, so they came limping back across the ocean, and everybody was wondering, what happened? And the sports pundits finally analyzed it and said they had way more talent. But because all they could really think about was their own individual performance, they could never gel as a team, and as a result, anybody could beat them. So in the big moments, in the big moments, ultimately what prevails are the no-names. Now, Jesus had some really big moments, Super Bowl kind of moments. We're entering into the Lenten season this Wednesday. We're going to have a season of time where we're thinking about as a church following this Jesus to a place of sacrifice and great love and the joy that is even more important than what we give up, all that. That's the journey we're about to go on. But at the end of that journey, as you know, we get to Holy Week. That's the big game the whole journey in the Gospels is moving toward Holy Week, right? That's the time when Jesus needed his starters, his all-stars, to come through. And he had them. Peter, James, John, folks that are in stained glass windows and hospitals are named after them. They were really good guys. But at the moment he needed them to really get it, according to the Gospel of Mark, all they could do was argue about which one of us is the greatest? Who's going to sit on your right or left hand? You get it? And as a result, Jesus benched the whole bunch and went way into the depth chart and got people who were heroes during Holy Week, according to Mark. Well, you just wouldn't believe. Let me give you a couple examples. Palm Sunday. It starts with that wonderful procession of hosannas, palms, right? Jesus said to the disciples, go into town, find me a ride, and just bring it. And the disciples said, Lord... You preachers, I mean, this is not how it works. People don't just give up their ride without collateral and all that. It's, he said, no, 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 just tell them the Lord has need of it. Yeah, like that would work. But he goes into town, and sure enough, there is a donkey, just as Jesus said, that's never been ridden. Brand new, spanking new donkey, right off the lot. Mmm, <laughs> still has that brand new donkey smell. <laughs> got, the, got the sticker on the rump still. You know, that... They're the owners, proud owners. Can't wait for their first ride on their brand new donkey that's never been ridden. And a bunch of Yahoo apostles came up and said, uh, we need your donkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The Lord has need of it, they said. Now, as you know, if you know the story, if you don't come on March the 20th, but uh, if you know the story, you know that the donkey is released into the hands of the apostles who take it to Jesus. He rides it in amidst hosannas and palm fronds and children, and, and the donkey rides into history, of course. And the cameras follow that procession. But I am still stuck off screen at what is really the great miracle of Palm Sunday in my mind. And that is these white-knuckled, fisted hands that were gripping even tighter onto the reins when someone tried to tank their donkey. 
and watching as that hand did this. Just because the Lord had need of it. Now this, by the way, is the Lord who doesn't need anything. But it makes you wonder, makes me wonder, will there be a time in my life when God will whisper into my ear that something I am gripping really tight onto? What about if the Lord has need of it? I had a plan. I paid 36 payments. I was going to do this. You know, it's, it's on my chart from my financial planner. It's mine. But what about if the Lord is going to say to some of us in the next few weeks, I have need of it. I know your plan, interesting plan, good plan, but I have a great plan if you'll just let it go. Would you be willing to fashion a fisted, deformed hand into a healed hand, into an open palm. would make a good campaign slogan if we could have come up with that. You know why it's called Palm Sunday? I don't think it's palm fronds because it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't started with someone willing to have an open palm. And in a fisted world where every single report from Wall Street and every debate of the presidential candidates and all, when everything makes us just clamp down fisted. The great miracle and delight of God is to woo us to open up. Let it go. And on Palm Sunday, someone actually did. Now, what was their name? Now, there's a hero to put up in a stained glass window. What was the name of that donkey owner? Search the scripture. Hooray for the no-names. Two days later, by the way, during Holy Week, Jesus is at the temple, and they're taking up an offering. They weren't having a capital campaign. It was just a regular offering. And in those days, they didn't have checks and envelopes and paper bills. You know, people only had coins. And so people were filing by, and they came to the front because there were these big copper kettles, like offering plates, but big copper pots, and people poured their coins down into the pots. And, of course, what would happen is you would imagine when you gave a really big offering with a whole bunch of coins, it would make a really loud clanging noise like, like someone winning the jackpot at one of those slot machines in Vegas. Not that I'd know being a preacher, but what I've heard it probably, <laughs> probably sounds like. And, and, of course, what you could do then is the people who did that could say, oh, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt the anthem with my huge loud offering. And so it was a nice way of advertising the big gifts. But, and there's nothing wrong with people with large gifts giving big gifts. But in the text it says in Mark 12 that Jesus was sitting on the front row watching the offering. That's pretty sobering. Next time the plate comes by and you're tempted to take out a 20 and put back in a 10 or, you know. <laughs> wow, Jesus is watching the offering? Whoa, who knew? And was he pleased that those with large gifts gave large? I think he was, but but he was watching. I, I pastored a church once. You probably can't tell, but I did. And because my halo is all rusty now. But I used to pastor a church, and we were on TV like here. And uh, they told us, the, the Nielsen people came and told us that during the offering that our viewership dropped. Uh, and that we should splice in a video or something more interesting. That apparently for the TV people, offerings are not very interesting. We dropped from like 12 viewers to 8 or something like that. And so... 
Sorry, you know, we put in videos and thought, but, but I tell you what, in, in heaven, the Nielsen ratings spike during the offering, apparently. Jesus is watching the offering. He might go to the refrigerator during the sermon, but during the offering, all the angels and archangels stop, and Jesus says, hush, shh, here it is. Because the offering is the moment in the worship, as our service of worship is the moment in our week, as our weeks in entirety are an offering to God. And Jesus pays attention because we're never more like God, never more connected to God than when we give ourselves away. He was really good at that himself. He's watching the offering. Well, you, don't, you know the story. There's a woman waiting her time, patiently in line, waiting, waiting, waiting. Loud, loud clang, waiting, waiting, waiting. And everybody's just waiting for the next loud ka-ching, you know. And this woman comes up, and she drops a coin, one little coin, it was like a dropper in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, it didn't make any sound. And Jesus said, shh, did you hear that? Oh, I didn't hear it, you know. Nah. And then, listen to this. She dropped a second coin. Look it up in Mark 12. Steve will preach on this in, two, in three weeks. The widow's might is not one coin. She actually had two coins. She could have walked away from church that day with at least one coin in her pocket. And as Jesus ultimately knew and told his disciples, those were the only two coins she had to her name. What in the world would make her give up the first coin? We're not talking about a tither here. That was 50% of her net worth. But what out of this world would make her drop the second coin? And Jesus is astounded and encouraged. And angels are weeping. And she has no idea he's even watching. Why did she give that coin? And Jesus said simply, the way God does the math, that's the biggest gift you'll ever see because she's given up her very life. Which is exactly what he was going to do by the end of the week. So she's the hero. Never mistake, my friends, if your gift seems small to com compared to others, but it's big to you, it is big to God. What is that woman's name? Now there is a hero. We don't know. Hooray for the no-names. And then one final one. I mean, there's several. Someone had an, empty, uh, an upper room and he gave it free. Someone had an empty tomb and gave it. There's a lot of people in that week that are wonderful, generous people upon whom the story turns. But let me just read one more, and it's our text for this morning. It's in Mark chapter 14, now late into the week. We're late into the game. Mark 14, verse 3. If you have your Bibles, they're in the pew. You read along with me. Otherwise, you're going to have to trust me. While Jesus was at Bethany, a little suburb of Jerusalem, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a, man, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. Now there were some there who said to one another in anger, why was this ointment wasted in this way? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, that's a year's worth of wage, and the money given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, shh, let her alone. Why are you troubling her? She has performed a good service for me. You will always have the poor with you, and you will show kindness to them whenever you can. But you will not always have me. 
And she has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for its burial. And truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. And sure enough, we've just done it again. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so here we are, Thursday night of Holy Week. Jesus is getting really close. No one but Jesus seems to be aware that the pungent odor of death is in the air. They're all still thinking things are going swimmingly, you know. And Jesus is there at a table, a round table perhaps. They're reclining at the table. Can you imagine? By the way, it says it's at Simon the leper's house. Now think about that with me for a minute. You think Simon the leper is still a leper? Lepers don't have anybody over for lunch. Even lepers don't come over for lunch. Lepers, had, they, couldn't, oops, they couldn't even stay up, torn up the church. They, they couldn't even stay in their own house. They had to live way out by themselves. This has to be Simon the used-to-be leper. Well, guess who healed him? I bet I better know. You got to guess? So this is Simon who used to be a leper who now is finally back home. He loves to be able to share his home with others. Some of you love that same thing. I regret that they still call him Simon the leper. But you know, sometimes the world is that way. We will keep a title anchored to somebody by their lowest moment and make it dog them forever. Well, you know she's divorced. I think it runs in her family. <laughs> you know, I think up north, I heard he kind of went through a bankruptcy. I don't know. You know, every time, every time he puts, he misses. Yeah, I don't know why. But we, but we just, we just tend to, if we're not careful, will go with the world here and keep reminding someone of their lowest time. And Jesus came to the earth to create a group of people who would always name us for what we could still become and not who we were. And that group of people was called a church. So he's at Simon's house, and he's there with all the apostles. Can you imagine how much pressure that would have been? Have you ever had the preacher over for lunch? I mean, that's pressure. Just have Stephen Amanda. You know, they're holy. What do you serve them? Angel food cake? You know, I, I know it's not deviled ham. I mean, what do you serve them? You know, and so it's, it's frightening to have the preacher over. I remember as a kid growing up in a little country church in Alabama, all of Alabama's country, but anyway, even by Alabama standards. And uh, we had a little 35-member church, not, not near as big as this choir. And so because our church was so small, we had to rotate having the part-time preacher for lunch, and we had to have him like twice a year. Thanks be to God you're in a big church. You don't have to have Steve that often here, but twice a year. Now, mom used that occasion to make us four kids clean up the entire house. Spring cleaning and fall cleaning aligned with when we had brother and Mrs. Parker for lunch. And so, I never saw a preacher, never myself. Did I go through the sock drawer making sure they were arranged? But mom got us to do that. And to this day, when I go sometimes as a guest and I see fresh vacuum cleaner tracks, I think, oh, kids, I know, sorry. <laughs> but Anyway, mom was so anxious about it. We all had to keep our coats and ties on during lunch. We had to speak in King James accents. We had to pretend... <laughs> Had to pretend that we were the Waltons when we were far more the Simpsons. But we had to try to get through the lunch, you know, because just long enough to get through the lunch. Mom's so anxious. We're anxious. Uh, and, I, you know, there's one year where Brother Miss Parker came from the guest bath and came to the table doing this. And, you know, but they're preachers. Who knows? They're strange. And so we got through the thing. They finally left. Only after they left that Mom went into the guest bath and realized she left up the sign on the towels that said, touch these towels and I'll shoot you. Yeah. 
if you knew what kind of kids we were, you knew why she did that. But <laughs> it's just really dreadful to mess up the big event when the preacher's over. Well, okay, if it's that way, what if it, what's it like to have Jesus and a few apostles? I mean, can you imagine how anxious? I bet she went home after Sunday school and, and put out all the cloth napkins and all that. So it's going okay. It's just going okay. And right in the middle of the meal, in the middle of the guest preacher telling stories about prodigal sons and stuff, a woman who was not on the invitation list came bursting in, has this flask of oil. Now, by the way, it was pure nard. Nard, as you might know, comes from the lower stems and roots of a plant that only grows in the upper regions of the Himalayas. So this is the fancy imported stuff, not the stuff you get by the gallon at Kmart. The really nice ointment. Little jar. And you know how ointment is. You just put on a dab and then you save it for the next time you're going to be ointed. It should last a lifetime. But she breaks it like an Easter egg over his head and pours the entire, entire amount all over the guest of honor's head while he's talking. Runs all down his hair and his beard, his, you know. Friends, don't do this to Steve when he comes over. <laughs> well, it's a flagrant fragrance now. Drives all the flies from the room and Jesus smells like a 16-year-old boy on his first date. And it's a waste. And the finance committee is there calculating how much waste it was. Well, this is 300 denarii. They come up with a much more spiritual-sounding reason for their scolding, but they're scolding her nonetheless because they cannot imagine why this flagrant abuse is waste. And it is so wasteful. Did she have any idea she was anointing him for his burial? Not a clue. She didn't know what was going to happen the next day. But as Jesus said, she just did what she could. Now, what possessed this woman to give a year's worth of her income to her Lord, to break through all the conveniences and the social mores and not wait for a better time. Good she didn't, there wasn't going to be another time. She did what she could, when she could, and she gave a year's worth of her income. Now, in a couple months, you're going to tell the IRS your annual income. So would you get that number up in your head? Don't yell it out. This is not audience participation time, but <laughs> you're going to tell the IRS the number. Would you get that number up in your head? Your annual income, you got that K-1, 1099, you know, W2, whatever, got that number? That's the number, the number that's in your head right now, that's the number this woman gave, that number. Do you think either for this campaign or for some other moment in your lifetime that even God could get you to ever give that number for His glory and for some ripple that would outlast your life? Would you give up the earning of one year to participate in the gift of a lifetime, would you? Well, she did. That was her number. What was her name? This hero, what was her name? Hooray for the no names. One day later, Jesus would be taken to a cross Stripped of his garments, of his dignity, of his friendships, of all of his possessions, ultimately stripped of his life, the one and only thing they could not take off of our Lord as they mounted him on that cross, the one thing he took with him to the cross was the lingering aroma of the ointment from the night before precisely because it was so over the top so much. And one wonders in the darkness of that noon when he drew his breath in pain, if it did not give him strength as he broke open his own flask and poured every bit of himself out for us, did it not give him strength that someone had also done that for him? 
as he opened his palms like the owner of a donkey and gave his very life like a widow at an offering time. And as he poured out the fragrance of forgiveness on top of the heads of everyone in this room. And if you take a deep breath, you can just catch a whiff of it, even today. So what will we do in our turn, in our defining moment, for an audience of one who will never forget our name, but for love of someone who will never know it? Is that team here? I think so. Hooray. Hooray for the no-names. And so, in the defining week, at the defining moment, Jesus gave us something to remember. Tonight at the Super Bowl, you'll look and see how many commercials are trying to hawk something to drink and something to eat. Because eat and drink is very much a parcel of every good time, every good memory. It's wonderful. And that's why he chose such common, ordinary things that would remind us frequently that every time you eat and every time you drink and every time you breathe and every time you receive and every time you give, you join the great dance of God's enormous love that came to us and through us. So come to a table that belongs to Christ. He bids every single person. You don't have to be Presbyterian. You don't have to be Church of the Palms. Just come with willingness and openness. Come because you're hungry, not because you're full. Because you're sinners, not because you're saints. Come because you don't have it figured out, not because you do. Come because you're fisted and would love to be palmed. Come. You're all so very welcome. No names all. In the middle of his arrest, our Lord Jesus took bread. After giving thanks to God, he broke it. and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body broken for you. Take, eat, in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus also took the bread, say, took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So every time we eat this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim the death of our risen Lord until he comes again, and he will come again. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, bless us in this sacrament as your gathered people, and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Transform us and send us out to be the body of Christ in the world, we pray. We remember those in any need of your special healing and comfort and grace and love, we pray. We bring our prayers to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.